Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. So this morning we start an Advent series. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9 for four weeks. Um, But before we talk about that, uh, really briefly, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Aaron uh, for this opportunity to get to preach this morning. I'm just really thankful to have the opportunity to get to teach to all of you and just for the opportunity that each of you are giving me to get to teach this morning. I know this has been an especially difficult season for both Aaron and Emily, and I appreciate Aaron even just taking lots of time this week to go over the sermon with me and to be able to talk about it together. And so just really thankful for Aaron and his leadership of our church. Um, But like I said, we're going to start an Advent series this morning. And so Advent is this really special time. It's the weeks leading up to Christmas when Christians take time to prepare ourselves, to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And so what we're doing is we're looking forward both to the first coming of Jesus when he came as a baby in a manger, but we're also looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. It's still in the future when Jesus returns one day to fully accomplish his reign on earth. And so during Advent, the way that we're going to celebrate that on Sundays is by looking at Isaiah chapter 9. And what Isaiah 9, especially verse 6, what it gives us is four different titles for Jesus. We're seeing four different aspects about who Jesus is to help prepare our hearts for his coming. And so the title that we're going to look at this morning is Wonderful Counselor. In Hebrew, it's Pele Yoetz. It's literally Miracle Counselor. The idea that Isaiah is getting at is that Jesus is supernatural and he's the counselor who speaks into our hearts. Jesus gives supernatural advice to speak into our deepest desires and into our plans. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, is about what it means for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. I think there's something really beautiful about this title of counselor, especially for our cultural moment. And today, so many more people are just becoming open to counseling and therapy, which is great. And I think what that does is it actually helps us understand a little bit more of what it means for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. Just as an example, I started therapy last month. It's been great. Um, Getting to talk with a therapist every other week has been really helpful just for me to be able to explore places where I've been hurt, experiences I've had that I still need healing from, to be able to get tools to be able to work through stuff in a healthy way. And I think what that has helped me see is just a little bit more about what it means for Jesus to be our counselor. For Jesus to be our wonderful counselor means that he speaks into our deepest desires. He sees every area of our heart, every place of hurt, every place of joy, and he speaks into it with compassion, love, and hope. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Don't we all want that? Don't we all want a wonderful counselor? Someone who totally gets you. Someone who, when you talk with them, they understand your feelings better than you do. They're able to speak into your life, not in a way that's, um, that's cliche or that falls flat, but in a way that's so meaningful and in a way that brings life and hope. We're all longing for that. And what Isaiah tells us is that Jesus is that. Jesus is that counselor that we're longing for. I think Isaiah shows us at least three ways that Jesus really is our wonderful counselor. Jesus brings us joy and anguish. He brings us liberation from oppression and reconciliation and conflict. I want to look at all three. Let's start with that first one. Jesus brings us joy and anguish. 
What Jesus does is he actually enters in to the place of our worst pain and suffering so he can give us joy and hope. Isaiah starts to show us this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. If you read it with me, it says, I says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So to give a little bit of context, uh, it's prophecies, at least for me, can be kind of hard to understand. Knowing the historical context is really helpful. So what was going on in Isaiah's time, if you back up a few chapters, is that there is this foreign nation of Assyria who's coming in to invade Israel and Judah. So it's this, this foreign government, this foreign nation who's coming in to oppress them. Two tribes of Israel were attacked first, Zebulun and Naphtali. They were on the northern border of Israel, so Assyria came down and hit them first. And so because of that invasion, the Israelites were in, they were in anguish. I mean, just imagine, you know, having your home invaded by people who just want to come and, and take over. So they were suffering so much. They were in so much pain. But then God gives this beautiful promise for hope. Look at me at Isaiah 9 verse 2. This is God's promise. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So into darkness, God brings his light. If you back up to Isaiah chapter 8, it kind of explains a little bit more about what it means to be in darkness. I know it's like Christian language that we use a lot, but still that, that phrase darkness can be a little bit confusing. What Isaiah explains at the end of Isaiah 8 is that the darkness that they're in is darkness from not following God's ways. It's darkness from trying to walk in our own ways instead of walking in God's ways. And so they've been spiritually blinded. They can't see. But then in verse 2, what Isaiah promises is that into that darkness, God brings light. And specifically, what we see in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4 is that this light is the light of Jesus. Jesus is light. He's morally perfect. He's the one who's without flaws. And so what Jesus does is he brings his light into darkness. He's able to shine into darkness to bring hope and joy and peace. Isaiah continues to just explain this in verse 3. He shows us more about what effect this light has. He says in Isaiah 9.3, when the light comes, he says, You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice because of you. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. What Isaiah is saying is that they will multiply. There's this beautiful verse all the way back in Genesis 1 at the very beginning of the Bible. It's a command that God gives to his people. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And what Isaiah says in Isaiah 9.3 is finally they can obey that. They can multiply. They can be fruitful. They're able to like fulfill this creation mandate that God's given them. And it brings them joy. The nation's finally restored. They're able to have this incredible joy in their heart. The imagery that Isaiah uses is imagery of when a harvest is plentiful, you know, when you go out and you see the fields ready for harvest or when you come back from war with spoils. He says it's, it's that kind of joy that the people of Israel have, overflowing, abundant, unending joy. That's what Jesus brings to us. I think maybe for some of us here, you hear that idea of Jesus bringing joy into our lives. And I think it probably just falls flat. Maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but that joy feels totally absent from your life. And you hear me talking about joy. You hear the Christmas hymns, joy to the world. And somewhere inside, you're like, really? Joy? Jesus brings us joy? 
Maybe if you're not a Christian, you feel like Christianity just takes all the fun out of life. That Christianity just sucks all the joy away. I think it's really interesting though, I was reading this week about some of the happiness studies that sociologists have conducted. I've read this article in the Boston Globe. Uh, this is Jeff Jacoby with the Boston Globe. He's talking about the correlation between attending religious services and happiness. And this is what he says. Peer-reviewed studies show that regular worshipers tend to suffer lower levels of stress, to have fewer symptoms of depression, and to be happier. What he's getting at is that when people are able to press into religious services, that it actually produces something in their life. There's like scientifically based evidence showing it increases joy, it takes away stress, it helps you be less depressed. In my opinion, I think what sociologists are confirming is what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. That when we come to Jesus, we really do find joy in our lives. We find an unending, unceasing joy. And the reason that we have that joy is because we find joy in Christ. And just to be really clear, what I'm not saying is that when you come to Jesus, suddenly all your problems disappear. Life's a smooth walk in the park. Life is still filled with so much pain and hurt. Isaiah shows us that. The nation of Israel is still facing so many difficult things. And yet in the suffering, because of Jesus, we can also have hope. We're able to have this river of hope that continues to run powerfully through our lives to sustain us. In Christ, we're able to find hope for our anguish, light in our darkness, and joy in our sadness. Jesus is our wonderful counselor who wants us to have that. I think for many of us, when we come to the holidays, when we come to Advent, we often feel a deep sadness. I think many of us feel that way. Maybe for you, it's brokenness in your family. That relationship with a family member that you wish so deeply could just be restored. And every, every holiday event, you just feel that wound reopened as you're just hurting. You're wishing, why can't my family just get along? Maybe for you, you feel lonely in the holidays. You know, there's all these cliche Hallmark movies about relationships. And maybe you just feel so lonely and you feel like Christmas is just shoving that in your face. Maybe you feel financially strained. Uh, maybe as the weather's changing, you're struggling with seasonal depression. Or maybe for you, you just feel sad and you're really not sure why. I want to show you that Jesus, he really is our wonderful counselor. And he wants to walk with you in that place of pain and hurt. Jesus, he wants to meet you there. And first, he knows everything that you're, that you're feeling. He knows that sadness that you feel. He genuinely gets it. He's the one who wept. He's the one who had tears streaming down his face as he saw the suffering that humanity went through. And then what Jesus has done is he's, he's constantly working. He both died on the cross to be able to provide salvation and joy. And then even now he's continuing to work for you, to give you joy, to protect you. What we see is that most of all, what Jesus did on the cross is he took our spiritual darkness so that he could give us his light. And it's there with Jesus that we're able to find joy to sustain us through all the hard times in life. That doesn't mean they just disappear. It doesn't mean they're automatically gone, but it means that we have a Savior who walks with us every step of the way, who loves us deeply. So what we can do is we can trust Jesus. We can go to him with our sadness. We can bring him our anguish and our pain and know that he gets us and he wants to love us right there in that. I think it's really beautiful to see in the Bible some of the practical ways that Jesus actually walks with us in our pain. 
It's really cool to me to see that God throughout the entire Bible is a counselor. What Isaiah is saying right here in Isaiah 9-6, we actually were able to see this throughout all the scripture. Have you ever noticed that whenever you read the Bible, all over the place, God is asking people questions? Why is that? Why would the God who already knows everything ask people questions? Have you ever thought about that? He doesn't, he, he's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. He knows everything we're thinking. He knows everything we're going through. So why? And I think it's this. It's because God uses questions as our ultimate counselor to draw out our hearts. What God wants to do is to pull our emotions out to help us find healing and hope in our anguish. I think it's really beautiful to see how Jesus especially does this in the Gospels. Jesus all over the place is asking questions. I think there's over 300 questions that Jesus asks people in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I wrote down just seven of them for us to talk about right now. What I would love, I want us to read through these questions together that Jesus asks as our wonderful counselor. And I would love if you were able this Advent season to take time, maybe weekly, maybe daily, as you're facing pain and hurt and suffering. I would love for you to reflect on these questions, to hear the voice of Jesus himself speaking to your heart, to pull things out of you so that he can bring truth and joy into your life. So let's look at those questions together. The first question that Jesus asks as our wonderful counselor, he asks, why are you afraid? What is it that you fear? When you're facing suffering, what is it in your life that you're most afraid of? Jesus also asks his second question, why are you weeping? What's the source of your pain and your hurt in your life? What Jesus does is he pulls those emotions out of us, our, our fear, our sadness, our tears. He pulls them out so he can bring us joy. He wants us to understand our own hearts. He's a good counselor who wants to explore our motives to get deep into our hearts to, to bring us joy. And the third question that Jesus asks, why do you question these things in your heart? We all have doubts. We all have things that we come to God and maybe we hear what scripture says and yet our hearts still doubt. And Jesus says, why? Would you explore in your heart what's causing that doubt? What's causing you not to trust me in this area of your life? The fourth question, what are you seeking? What's your motive here? Maybe that argument where you really blew up and you, you, you just lost it with someone. What was it that your heart was longing for? What was it that you really wanted? What's, what's that desire that was unfulfilled in your life that needs to be met through Christ? The fifth question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus comes to us and says, hey, do you really trust me? Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I am the Son of Man, the promised Savior who came to live, die, and rise in your place? to transform your life, to forgive your sins, and to bring you joy. Are you really believing that? I'm not saying, do you just know that? I'm saying, have you taken that from being head knowledge to heart knowledge? Have you pressed that truth into your heart that Jesus is your savior? The sixth question, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Are you trusting not just that Jesus is your savior, but that even right now, his promises that he's made, he's able to do that in your life. His hands are not tied behind his back. He can work in your life. Are you believing that? And the last question, Jesus asks, what is written in the law? What does the word of God say? So many times in our lives, I think what, what Jesus wants for us is to come back to scripture. And as we're wrestling through an issue that's really hard during the holidays, Jesus is asking, what does my word say? Come, hear my voice. 
Listen to the scriptures. Listen to where I've spoken. What does my word say about what you're walking through? I would love, just as you're facing different challenges during the holidays, take time to reflect on these seven questions. Take time to meditate on them, to pray through them, and just hear Jesus as your wonderful counselor speaking into your life. I think just the last thing I want to say here, and we'll, we'll keep going. I think one thing that some of us here need to really be able to trust in Jesus as our wonderful counselor is to find a human counselor or therapist. I think what, what some of us need is to be able to find someone who's a trained professional, a counselor or a therapist, who is going to be able to love us, to, to, to help us work through the deepest desires in our hearts and to help show us the joy that we're able to find in Christ. I would love, if you're suffering right now, if you're working through emotions that you just feel like you need help with, I would love for you to have that. Listen, as Christians, we, we should not be afraid of counseling and therapy. Isaiah 9, 6 says, Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Jesus himself is our counselor, our savior. He, he's called a counselor. How much more then should we also be willing to go to human counselors and therapists who are going to give us truth, help us understand ourselves better and help us love God more? Just to be real here, I'm watching as some of us, we go through the challenges of life, we're hurting, we're suffering, but we don't get help. And especially during the holidays, I want you some of us spiral out. We start to sink deeper and deeper into darkness, into depression, or you just go to a, to a really hard place. And what my heart wants for you is for you to get help before you get there. I want you to get proactive help where you can go ahead and now reach out to a counselor or therapist before you're in that really dark and terrible place. And listen, even if you're already there, we want to be there as a church to support you. And we want to point you also to professionals who are going to be able to walk with you. I want you to have people in your life who are going to help you see that Jesus is the wonderful counselor who knows you better than you know yourself and loves you deeply and walks with you. His love for you is unconditional. Jesus wants you to have joy in your anguish. But there's also a second thing that Jesus wants for us. Isaiah says that Jesus brings us liberation from oppression. This passage is remarkably clear. It says that Jesus comes into the conflict of our lives and into the place of hurt, neglect, and abuse. And what Jesus does is he brings justice and freedom. Let me show this to you in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4. This shows that Jesus liberates people from oppression. Isaiah 9, 4, it says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Jesus comes in and breaks the yoke of injustice and the rod of oppression. That's, that is exactly what Isaiah says. Think about how powerful this must have been for Israel. Like we already talked about, Assyria had come in to oppress them. They had also just gone through a terrible civil war between Israel and Judah. They are war-torn and oppressed. They are suffering. And what Isaiah says is there is a Messiah coming who will break the rod of the oppressor, who will bring perfect justice and peace and righteousness into that place of hurt and pain and oppression. Isaiah promises that this Savior is going to come. He says in verse 5 that every boot used by warriors and every soldier's garment stained with blood are going to be burned in a fire. What does that mean? What Isaiah is saying is that we won't even need weapons for warfare. 
Soldiers won't need boots. They won't need outfits anymore because Jesus will have brought perfect justice. He'll have put an end to every single war going on. Every single, every single boot worn by warriors, clothing worn by soldiers will be used as fuel for fires because there won't be a need for weapons anymore. That's the kind of liberation that Jesus brings. Maybe you hear me say that and you say, wait, come on, Kyle. Really? Liberation from oppression? Come on, wake up. Look at the world around you. Don't you see it? Oppression everywhere. A world torn apart by war and justice. People being treated wrongly. And I would say you are absolutely correct. You are absolutely right that our, war, that our world still suffers from terrible injustices. And this is the beauty of Advent. Jesus came once a first time as, as a baby boy in a manger to inaugurate, to begin his reign of perfect peace on earth. But he's promised that one day he'll come again, a second coming in the future. He'll come back once and for all, not as a baby in swaddling cloths, but as a crowned king and a conquering warrior. And what he's going to do is put an end to every single injustice. He will free every person going through oppression. He will bring perfect liberation into our world. Isaiah is so clear about this. I love how he talks about this back in Isaiah chapter two, verse four. He says this about the coming of Jesus. He says, Jesus shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. See, when Jesus comes back again, weapons for warfare get turned into farming tools for peace. That's how incredible the coming of Jesus is. He will come and settle every single disagreement that our world has. Like the hymn, O Holy Night says, in his name, oppression shall cease. That's what Isaiah is promising here. Doesn't your heart long for that? Don't you want a day when every single abuser is stopped? When every single war is put to an end? When Palestine and Israel have perfect peace and every wrong is made right? Jesus says, hey, I'm going to do that. Jesus, he calls his shots before he takes them. He's promising, I will bring perfect peace and justice into this world. Isaiah says that Jesus will bring liberation and tranquility. I love how the poet Lucy Shaw says this. She has this beautiful poem on the incarnation and she has one especially powerful part of the poem. She says that Jesus will come wielding his peace like a sword and rescuing us into reality. When Jesus comes, his sword is peace and his rescue operation is to bring us into ultimate reality. What we're going through right now is real, but it's not ultimate. Jesus promises one day he will come and bring ultimate reality, ultimate peace, ultimate justice, ultimate righteousness. God will rescue us into new creation where we will have perfect justice forever. I know some of you here have suffered terrible, terrible injustices in your life. I know some of you have had someone in power over you, a leader, a parent, who did something absolutely terrible to you that has left scars in your heart and you feel so hurt and damaged. Maybe for you, it was racist words spoken against you, actions taken against you to discriminate. Maybe for you, it's 
mistreatment that you've received, abuse that you've been wrestling with, that's been so hard for you to walk through. If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus understands what you're going through. He genuinely does. On the cross, Jesus was stripped naked and beaten. What Isaiah 53 says is that Jesus was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus went through terrible abuse and oppression. And so as your counselor, Jesus really does get it. He knows what you're facing. He's been there. He gets that. He can relate to you. And then Jesus, he suffered in our place so that he could purchase our salvation. Isaiah 53 again, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds you have been healed. Jesus took oppression so, so that he could give you freedom. Jesus took the wounds so that he could bring you healing. Jesus died in your place on the cross, taking your darkness and your sin so he could bring you hope and healing. So he could bring you liberation in everything that you're facing. And on top of that, Jesus promises that one day he's going to come back. He will put an end to every single injustice. He will put an end to every single war, every single wrong, and evil will be no more. He will end all cruelty and establish his perfect peace. And in the meantime, what Jesus promises, Isaiah says that he's, he's carried the shoulder of our burden. I love how Matthew talks about this. He says that Jesus, he takes our heavy yoke and he gives us his light and easy yoke. The weight that he puts on our shoulders is an easy weight. What Matthew says is that Jesus, he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so that all who come to Jesus, we find rest for our souls. Listen, I want you, if you have faced injustice, abuse, I want you to know, we want to walk through that with you. We want to love you and seek justice and seek what's right. And I also want you to be able to rest in Jesus. His heart is for you. He loves you so deeply. He understands what you've been through more than anyone else. Won't you turn to him as your wonderful counselor? What Jesus does is he brings liberation from oppression. We also, we see that Jesus, he brings joy into our anguish. There's one final thing that Isaiah shows us that Jesus brings. Jesus brings reconciliation into our conflict. I think almost all of us would say that during the holidays, we feel a lot of tension. We feel conflict in our lives. Maybe, I think especially it's with family that you have arguments with. And what Jesus says is that he comes into that place to bring reconciliation in our conflict. Isaiah 9.6 already said that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. I want to especially look at Isaiah 9.7. Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What Isaiah is saying is that when Jesus' kingdom is perfectly established, the peace will increase more and more and more. Every day will be better than the last. When the kingdom of Jesus is perfectly established, he's not going to spread his kingdom through imperialism or war, but through peace and justice. That's how the kingdom of Jesus spreads. It's a kingdom where forgiveness and love will be the very air that we breathe. In the kingdom of Jesus, every conflict will end. We truly will have peace on earth and mercy mild. Every division will be healed. Every war will be over. 
I, I love especially what Isaiah says about the government being on the shoulders of Jesus. Do you guys catch that back in Isaiah 9, 7? He says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The first time I read that, I was like, what is that? What are you talking about? You're saying Jesus is gonna like have this world order and he's like the top political leader. Like, what do you mean, Isaiah? And I think what, what he means is this, that Jesus, his reign on earth will be perfect. It'll be a reign of perfect peace and justice in the world. What we see is that when King Jesus reigns, he'll bring perfect reconciliation and peace in our lives. He, he will literally be, he is Lord and he will be Lord over everything. And so here's what I want you to know. The Jesus who carries the very world on his shoulders also holds your heart in his hands. You can trust him. You can trust him with everything you're going through. He sees your conflict. He sees your place of pain and he wants to bring reconciliation and hope into that. Jesus promises a day when we will have perfect reconciliation. One movie that always reminds me of this is the first Home Alone movie. Uh, It's still one of my favorite movies that I've watched over and over since I was a kid. And if, if you haven't seen it before, the basic premise of the movie is that Kevin McAllister, he wishes his whole family was gone and then he wakes up during the holidays and suddenly they're gone because they went on their family trip to Paris and he overslept and they forgot about him. So it's kind of, it's really sad. He was forgotten. So he's stuck at home. And so he has to, you know, fight the burglars and keep the house safe. And his family finally realizes that he's gone. And so his mom goes on this crazy journey to finally get back home. And so right at the end of the movie, she comes busting through the doors and wraps him up in this big hug. And then suddenly the rest of the family comes like running in right after her. So you realize like the whole, the mom's whole crazy journey was like a waste because she could have just like taken her flight and she would have gotten there on time. But my favorite scene in the movie is after that, when Kevin goes to look out the window and there's this, his older friend, Marley, the one that he met back in the cathedral. He sees Marley who had been separated from his son and his son's family for, I think, decades And Kevin looks out the window, and there on Christmas, he sees Marley able to wrap up his son in a big hug, be reunited with his family. I think that that scene, at least for me, I think it it strikes a chord in our hearts. There's something about the holidays that just brings up family hurt so much, doesn't it? Being estranged from family, that relationship that you wish you were, was, that you were closer with. You know, that person that you wish that, whether it's physically or relationally, that you wish that you could just be with them, whether it's just seeing them in person or just having that close relationship. We all feel that during the holidays. And what Jesus promises is that when he comes, he brings reconciliation into every broken relationship. He brings peace, restoration into everything that was broken into every estranged family, in his kingdom, he brings peace. I think part of why we are so often estranged from family and the reason that we face so much conflict in our relationships is because we're, we're not actually aligned with God. And hear me out on this, because that probably sounds odd. It's like, hey, why are we fighting with each other if, like, if it's really God that we're having the issue with? Just an analogy that came to me this week is we're kind of like ships in a harbor, that we're all headed different directions. And so we keep crashing into each other. 
I feel like sometimes that's what Christmas feels like, doesn't it? Of we're just all bumping into each other because we're all headed a million directions. But when, when God is actually the, the direction of our life, when we are all headed toward him, that's when we're able to live in harmony with one another. When we're all aligned in the same direction, we're not at war with each other anymore. Because we're actually, if we're at peace at God, we can be at peace with one another. So I, I think what we really, the ultimate thing that we need to have that close relationship with family that we've always wanted, to have that friendship restored that was broken. The ultimate thing that we need is to be reconciled with God first and foremost. If we have reconciliation with God, then we can have harmony with one another. You know, every broken relationship needs a mediator, right? If a, if a relationship gets broken bad enough, you need some independent third party who can come in, who kind of gets both groups and can bring reconciliation between the two, the two groups that can't get along. And what, the, what scripture tells us is that Jesus is that. Jesus is the mediator between us and God. Because of our sin, we turned away. We rebelled. We were going against God, going the wrong direction. But Jesus came to be the mediator. And who better to mediate than the one who is both God and man? He understands both perfectly. This is what 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and, ma- and men. The man, Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. It's through faith in that mediator that we have reconciliation with God and ultimately that we can have reconciliation with one another. When we are truly loving God, reconciled with him, forgiven of our sins, having peace with him, that's when we're able to be at peace with one another, to be able to have the reconciliation that we're longing for, both here and now in the kingdom of Jesus, like here and now in the family of God. Jesus promises reconciliation. He promises to take our messy, broken, tough friendships and to bring reconciliation. We're able to find the power to forgive one another when we see just how much we've been forgiven through the cross. That's when we're able to forgive one another like we should. And then Jesus promises one day when he comes again, he will bring perfect peace, perfect harmony, perfect tranquility, no more arguments, no more blow-ups on Christmas morning, no more estranged families. One day, once and for all in the kingdom of God, every, every relationship for Christians will be restored. I know in the meantime, that's really hard to live in, isn't it? to live in that in-between. Maybe you hear me talking about all that and you're like, okay, I get it. But I still have to, I still have to see my family over the holidays. Or maybe, maybe it's another, maybe it's something at work or maybe it's something with an, a roommate or we still have to live in that messiness of broken relationships. Just to make this really practical, I got some advice from a Christian therapist that I think is really helpful. Of just when we're facing conflict during the holidays, what can help us face that? even better? What can help us rest in God more? And her advice was the serenity prayer. I hate that the serenity prayer has almost become cliche. Uh, You know, people put in their Instagram bio and stuff. I hate that because it really is such a good prayer. It's so beautiful. If, If you're not familiar with it, the serenity prayer just goes like this. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Is that not so profound? Listen, I would want, as you face conflict with people during this holiday season, I would love for you to pray that prayer over and over in your heart. God, 
Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Give me courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. There are some things in this life that won't be restored until heaven. And we need to ask God, please, God, give me peace as I walk through that. There are some things that we do need to change in the meantime. We need to ask God for courage. God, help me to stand up, to be bold and brave, to speak into this issue. And sometimes we just need wisdom. God, which one's which? Do I speak into this issue right now or do I let it slide? We need to ask God, God, give me wisdom to help me work through that. I think there's one other prayer that I want to leave you with that for me helps me to just to, to get my heart around this peace that God gives. It's this prayer from St. Augustine. He's the North African theologian from the fourth century. And it's this beautiful prayer from encountered God's peace for the first time. When the peace of God overcame him, this is, this is his prayer to God describing it. This is from his confessions. He says, talking to God, he says, you called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance, I gasped. And now I pant for you. I tasted you and I hung and thirst. You touched me and I burned for your peace. I want you to experience God's peace like that. Do you burn for it? Do you hunger and thirst for it? Is the light of God blazing in your heart? So I want you to have an experience of the peace of God like that. That's what it means for Jesus to be your wonderful counselor. When Jesus breaks into your heart, that's what it's like. I think there's only two groups in here. Either those who need to experience that for the first time or those who need to experience that even more. Either way, I want you to have this powerful experience of the peace of God that only comes from the wonderful counselor himself, Jesus Christ. He really is our wonderful counselor. He gives us joy in our anguish. He gives liberation from oppression and he brings reconciliation and conflict. Let's go to him this Advent season and trust in him as our wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Let's pray.